0: This week on the Recruitment Flex, for God's sake, please someone delete Elon's Twitter account. The pay transparency train keeps moving with British Columbia being the latest province to jump on board. Imagine if you had to give six months notice to quit your job and Amazon's return to office whores or are they just being evil geniuses? The Recruitment Flex starts right after this message from our partners.
1: To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex.
1: We're recording today, Wednesday, International Women's Day. Yes. Something that you, for the rest of your life, are going to have to celebrate (laughs) (laughs) with all the women in your life.
0: You stole my thunder because that was the first thing I was going to say is wishing you a very happy International Women's Day. And as you know, I have four ladies in my house as well. And Mm -hmm. I forgot this morning. So I have to make sure that when they're back from school that we celebrate this properly.
1: Yeah. Do you know my circle of friends, everyone sent out some of the nicest messages just to like our group of women friends, some really nice inspirational messages. In my circle of friends, my best friend lost both her parents in the last eight months. And the group of women around us just lifting them up as they're dealing with their grief. It's just been, gosh, you know, we all know it'll be someone's turn next. And so good to know that you've got a group of friends around you that are going to be there for you.
0: It's great to have someone to have your back. What I found interesting with International Women's Day is a lot of companies put out messages, right? And I forget what it's called. So on Twitter, there's this company that anytime anyone celebrates International Women's Day, they come back and reply what the gender pay gap is within that organization. So hundreds of them, there's this whole thread. I mean, like this company pays women 12% less than men and just jumping onto their message and showing the reality of what is actually happening in that organization.
1: Wow. Okay. Yes. I love that
0: they're doing that.
1: Yes. And I imagine being able to do that for, I know we talked over the years when they have Pride Week and everybody puts a rainbow over their logo. Wouldn't it be absolutely interesting to see what organizations have fulfilled their commitments to DE&I. You remember back in 2021, 20, a lot of companies were really public. We're going to invest you know, $10 million or whatever the figure was for diversity, equity, and inclusion. It'd be interesting to see as they change their logos to the pride flag, if they've mm. actually done anything.
0: Well, as we know, the majority of companies that did any type of diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, it's fell apart because the layoffs, first group that got laid off. And then we had on the show research that showed that CEOs weren't putting their money behind what they were saying. It was really clear in the investment in that space. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see that, but do check it out. And I'll put it in the show notes as far as what this Twitter name is, because I found it fascinating. And jumping on to Twitter a little bit more. So yesterday I logged into Twitter and the first thing that I saw was this Twitter thread with Elon Musk. I'll give you the highlights. Actually, I'll read it for you. So a gentleman's name is Halley Tollefson. I hope I'm saying that right. He was an Icelandic design agency founder whose company was acquired by Twitter. He sent out the message yesterday to Elon Musk being like, hey, I think I was part of the layoffs two weeks ago. But I'm trying to get a hold of HR and no one's responding to me and I do not have access to my computer. So Elon finally responded to him and it really went downhill. The first thing he actually did was like, tell me what you did. Like, I need to know what you did. So basically, he interviewed his own employee on Twitter, then came back and said, yeah, the guy did nothing. He used his disability as a way to shirk away from work. So the gentleman has MS. He was hired because they bought his design agency company and his role was to be part of the strategy that was going to be his main work because he cannot type for a long time. He's got limitations having MS. So that came out and he's making fun of this disability in the Twitter thread. It's really disgusting. And then suddenly he just kind of retracts everything and apologizes because someone got a hold of him and basically said that, do you know, as part of our agreement, if we fire this gentleman, we have to pay him out the whole sum of his company, which the numbers that I've seen is a hundred million dollars. So by firing this gentleman, they have to pay him a hundred million dollars. So suddenly the story retracts and we know the cash flow issues that Twitter has could be disastrous. So I don't know what's next. I don't know if they hired that guy again, or if he's like, fuck off, you fired me. I haven't heard what's happened today, but There he goes, Elon being stupid again.
1: Oh, my God. This is really bad. Can you imagine? Because I know at one point, Elon's like, so what do you do? His response was, well, if I tell you over Twitter, I'm breaking my confidentiality agreement. And he goes, it's approved. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So he actually lists it out.
0: Of he what did. he did. Oh, my God. Elon should get off Twitter. The type of takes that he has on Twitter are so off. Just get off Twitter. I know you own it now, but just get off. It's not good for you.
1: Oh, my God. And the article goes on to explain that Thorleafson, who's used a wheelchair since he was 25 because of his condition – And he has lost the strength in his arms. He's wheelchair bound. He won Iceland's Person of the Year in 2022 (laughs) because he led initiatives to install hundreds of wheelchair ramps throughout Iceland's capital. Yeah, he could have at least Googled the guy's name before he started in on this rant. Oh, my God.
0: Well, the lesson here is you actually need an HR department because I don't think Twitter has one because they would have looked at, okay, we're going to lay off this guy. Let's look at his contract stipulations. Oh, wait a second. We need to pay him a hundred million dollars. Maybe we should hold off on that. But no one advised them. He found out everything after this stupid rat.
1: Oh my gosh. The stuff you can't take back, hey? <laughs> Be interesting to see what happens here in the next few days. Has it just stopped?
0: I haven't followed it. I've been too busy. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. I'm assuming okay. it stopped just because mm-hmm. he realized that, first of all, he's making fun of someone with a disability. And secondly, he's going to owe this guy a hundred million. The lawyers have stepped in at this point. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well,
1: we all know that's nothing to him. It's a rounding error, a hundred million.
0: Oh, well, not with the- Twitter. Not with Twitter no? right now.
1: Well, maybe he'll pay out of his own pocket. Maybe. So, speaking of, we had talked about last week, I think, all the scams that are happening, like fake job offers, all kinds of recruitment scams. And we caught this article here that was talking about LinkedIn reporting a wave of scams targeting remote workers and targeting the recently laid off tech employees. And they're looking to get all of your data and then, spoof you, and use your profile to fake apply for jobs. I don't know. Am I getting too big of a conspiracy theory thinking here on this search?
0: No, I I think what's happening here is seeing all the layoffs, the scammers who have a very active organization in doing this are targeting those folks that have been recently laid off. And I think this goes to the story that we talked about last week. Looking at actual numbers of how many scams there are in the U.S., to give you an idea, last year... There was ninety-two thousand job-related and business scams, with three hundred sixty-seven million dollars reported stolen. In twenty twenty-one, it was actually a little bit less. It was one hundred five thousand scams and two hundred nine million lost. Those numbers are a little bit staggering. A lot of people that are in very vulnerable situations are looking for a job they're falling for these scams and if you calculate this is an average of 5 to 7000 dollars a person that's being scammed here
1: yes there was one company that they called out it's called exotic lily that spent months using complex and convincing new tactics to get past company defenses with fake business opportunities what is it called exotic lily like sounds like think- a
0: dildo company
1: <laughs> you don't think that would set off with <laughs> you doesn't
0: it sound getting, like
1: it if you're getting a phishing email and the email address is at exoticlily.com
0: <laughs> i've never heard of that but my head did not go into the right mindset there
1: oh uh, yeah sorry i threw you off there Serge.
0: I do want to
1: jump into
0: something, something that more serious. Is a lot more serious. <laughs> and we've talked about this all last year is the train is rolling. Pay legislation is mm-hmm. coming across the country. As yeah. we know, PEI is already there. Ontario is very close. I think Alberta's fairly close. But the next phase is British Columbia, one of our biggest provinces, is introducing new pay transparency legislation to hopefully go in effect in November. I'll read you a little bit the detail. Basically, it's gonna require employers to include salary ranges on job postings and banning employers from asking applicants for pay history information. The goal is to close the gender pay gap Mm -hmm. in the province. Employers will also not be allowed to punish employees who disclose their pay to coworkers or potential job applicants. The train is rolling. It's coming to BC and BC is what the third biggest province in Canada.
1: Yeah, this is serious stuff.
0: So what's your thought, Shelley?
1: What's interesting is it's actually very similar to how they rolled this out or it is currently rolled out in Ontario and that it starts with public service and big crown corps. They've done the same thing in Ontario. So this is employers with a thousand employees or more are required to post their reports by November of 2024, and then with 300 employees or more by November 2025. And then in 2026, they drop it back to 50 employees. This will be phased in between now and the year 2026. Employers have three years to get their act together to be in compliance. What's curious, though, is how are they going to police this? Are they really going to, first of all, go look at job postings, Or are they going to be somehow tracking companies with a thousand employees or more and tell if they are disclosing salaries or not? Unless an applicant tells on someone that, hey, they asked me for my pay history, how are they going to know?
0: Well, similar to what they've done in New York, they're actually verifying job ads. That's the easiest way to do it. But the flip side, as you say, as far as a complaint, it's going to have to be public complaints. Mm -hmm. inquiries that is going to trigger these types of investigations. There's no way they would know to your point. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting when Prince Edward Island introduced it and PI is a much smaller province than British Columbia, they had no strategy or plan to enforce. Basically it's like, if we see some, we might give them a heads up. Obviously, they approached the job boards to see if we could help them in any way, but there is limited resource for a job board to go in and audit. It's going to start very slowly. I think we're going to see people trying to take advantage of it. For a lot of companies, they're almost already there because of what Indeed has done. Indeed has forced a lot of companies to do it. It'll be interesting. I don't know.
1: Tip of the week. I have a challenge. I am throwing down the glove take your job description and turn it into a job ad that will inspire people to apply. And you need to do it in 277 words. There's a great article here on ere.net called the Goldilocks problem with job posts. It was really well done. And that's what it talked about. There is the just right, not too much, not too little, the just right number for job seekers is 277 words. So what does that mean? That means you need to take out all the stuff that is really not relevant, nor is it inspirational. The challenge will be to take a seat in the job seekers chair and write in 277 words, what is the opportunity? And what is the work? and just describe it in the simplest of terms. And interestingly enough, we've got this cool tool called ChatGPT, could probably help you. (laughs) I'm
0: still hesitant on that, but I like where you're going with it. And I think one of the key things that they stress in the article that I see in job ads all the time, it's not about you. It's important to put the job seeker in the heart of your message. That's a great challenge, Shelley. For anyone listening that has very lengthy job ads or probably job descriptions that are mirrored as job ads, take one of those 277 words and see what you can come up with. I think you'll be impressed. And you can start with putting it in chat GPT being like, hey, here's my job description. Can you create a job ad of 277 words or less? See what it
1: comes up with
0: and adjust from there.
1: Yeah. I mean, don't expect perfect. Because ChatGPT is a great augmentation tool. It's not going to do the work for you. It'll just help. It'll help, exactly. Yeah. And it has its own bias that we've
0: talked about in the past as well. But it's a good place to start. So let's jump into the recruitment insight. So this yes. week, I want to start with something I've never heard of. Working with companies in Europe, I was surprised to see the Lent of notice that they have to give before quitting a job. What do you think is the appropriate amount of notice that an employee should give an employer?
1: If you're looking right across the board, we know that professional courtesy is two weeks, right? That's professional courtesy. However, the higher up you go in responsibility, like someone who is a CEO would usually have some sort of exit clause that is really clear, about how much notice, you know, if you're a publicly traded company, that's a whole different kettle of fish. For most employees, reasonable notice is two weeks. Now, I think the gray area is when you have a role that it's not executive, but it's certainly not entry level either, right? You're somewhere in that middle ground. This particular article talks about JP Morgan Chase.
0: Yes. Um, I was going to ask you. I'm going to yeah. cut you off there. Okay. What do you think about 6 months having to give a 6 months notice?
1: Well, we know having worked behind the scenes. If somebody gives notice and we've got 6 months to fill the job. If I aggressively went out, I've got all the tools I need and I find someone, will we bring them on 5 months early? Like You've got to stay for six months to fulfill your notice requirements, but that's not what usually happens. Usually what happens is recruitment gets the approval to start recruiting, oh, about six weeks before your final day.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Or even a couple
0: of weeks before. Yeah. To go on this story and why I came up with this is I read an article in the New York Post, which I don't know if it's the best source, but basically talks about Morgan Chase requires some of their tech workers to give six months notice before quitting. And this came about because a gentleman that was working there complained on the social media platform Blind. I've never heard of Blind, which career professionals can freely post without concern about retribution from their boss. He wanted to give his notice and realized that he had to give six months. And putting that in perspective, if you do get a job, how many employers are going to wait six months For you to start, not many. It almost puts you in an impossible situation to be able to find a job. And then when you dig in a little bit deeper and you look at JP Morgan saying it's a very small amount of roles, they say around 100 of their 57,000 has this clause into it. So Mm -hmm. it's not a lot. But it's still a lot. And J.P. Morgan does have the reputation because in certain countries like India, they change it from 30 days to 60 days and they're going up to 90 days. And their reason, and this is where it gets a little bit tougher for me to really understand, it's really laziness on their part. What they're saying is when we were having employees give regular notice, we ended up being short staff. There was too many people quitting, so they put in the contract to make it harder for them to quit, which is, it's just managing by fear or it's just managing because you suck. Let's fix it so we actually tie these employees down.
1: Well, yes, I think you nailed it. Rather than address the heart of the issue, and that is you've got the high number of people leaving, well, let's be preventative and put in their employment contracts to begin with. Now, Bear in mind, in this article that you're pointing to from the New York Post, the guy had been there 15 years. I don't know, maybe some companies renew their employment contracts annually or something. You know, if he went back and looked at his offer letter, it did say six months, but he signed it 15 years ago. Yeah, you know, you might want to check that before you started job searching and got this lucrative offer and then realized, oh, shit, I've got to give six months notice.
0: Is it even legal? That's where I'm struggling. Anytime you're signing an employment agreement, you're doing under distress, right? Either you don't have a job, you're looking for a job. This is a way to feed your family, support yourself. You are in a position that the employer has the upper hand when it comes to signing an employment agreement. So if they put that, can it actually be held in court similar to a non-compete or in some cases, a non-disclosure?
1: What tends to happen is best practice, especially in these large corporations, they will update their employment agreements. And so HR will come swinging by and say, hey, sign here, we updated it. Here's the three clauses we updated. Or they just send it to you and you do it right in the HRIS. You just sign off that you're acknowledging. And you just sign it without really reading it to see what had changed. You're not held to the one you originally signed 15 years ago. They will change it as the laws change.
0: So I guess the advice we can give here is before you sign any employment agreement, make sure you read every detail. And if they're asking you to update, make sure Mm -hmm. you read it. And if you're not sure about it, go see a lawyer.
1: Quite honestly, what are you gonna do if they bring you these changes? If you don't sign it, then you're effectively resigning. Do you know what I mean? Like It is quite a pressure tactic. You know, yeah, in
0: Canada, it doesn't exactly work like that. They can incentivize you to sign it. I've been in that situation before. Yes. Strongly um,
1: encourage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they'll yeah. drop money for them to sign it. Yes. Right? They usually do it right around performance review time. There you go. They absolutely do. And, you know, the increase will become an effect because we need you to sign a new employment agreement. Or every time you get a promotion, you should also have a new employment agreement. Agreed. Yeah, so interesting. I have something else I wanted us to talk about, the return to office policies. Specifically, an article here that talks about Amazon CEO, Andy Jassy, announced that employees are expected to return to the office three days a week in the spring. And the almost immediate reaction from employees was their frustration in this change. In less than a week, 14,000 employees had joined their Slack channel, and a petition started circulating demanding that the company retract the policy. Interesting that the return to work mandate, according to what employee sentiment was, is that management just shattered their trust in them, and perhaps a way to get more people to quit. Was the insinuation. The timing of the return to office mandate was less than a month after the company announced their plans to lay off 18,000 workers. Coincidence? Mm. What do you think, Serge?
0: Well, we all knew this was coming, right? We all knew the big companies were going to get all their employees back in the office, and some of them disguised it with boiling the frog. A couple of days, let's do a little bit of hybrid, that will work for everyone, But we all know the CEOs want the employees back in the office full time. And there's a couple of reasons for that is obviously they feel it's way easier to manage if they're in the office. The second is there's a lot of incentive for companies to have employees in the office when they move into a particular city. They got money if they employed a certain amount of people working out of certain offices. Oh, you the mean government, incentives,
1: tax incentives. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, Now okay. the
0: government is coming back being like, hey, your downtown office is completely mm-hmm. empty. We want some of this money back. But I think the biggest driving factor is there's a comfort level from CEOs of having people in the office. They think it improves culture. There's more collaboration. And the data not exactly showing that. But it is what it is. This is how they're feeling. Seeing this, I think you nailed it. A year ago, no one had the balls to be like, you're coming back in the office because they were scared shitless that they would lose their employees. They're not scared shitless anymore. And I saw that firsthand. One of my favorite podcasts is a podcast called All In. It's basically a bunch of tech billionaires that talk about the labor market. And one of the big things they're talking about is like, screw these petitions, screw these walkout from employees. Have the cojones to be like, you're coming back in the office. And some are kind of, hey, we don't need as many employees. So if you're not comfortable coming back in, that's fine. But you're probably going to get laid off. Or you're going to be quitting if you're not coming into the office every day. So I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that it's not going well because the data is still very clear on LinkedIn. 17% of the jobs are remote jobs and they are getting 50% of the clicks. A ton of people still want to work from home and I get it, right? Mm-hmm, like There's mm-hmm. still surveys out there. like How much money would it take for you to come back in the office full mm-hmm. time? A majority of them are fairly high. They almost need to double their salary. So We are seeing that mismatch from employers and employees of what they really want. It's going to be a challenge for every organization, right, to figure this out because the great resonation is going to keep happening. I don't even know if it disappeared or not because people do not want to come in the office if they don't see the value. Those are like two to three hours a day they lose for most people.
1: Well, this survey said nearly seven out of 10 workers said they would rather quit than return to the office. And the biggest issues was just what you talked about, the commute, you're getting home later, spending money on lunch and having to wear work attire. I don't know about you, but it's awfully nice being able to wear comfortable clothes and not have to get dressed up every day. But also, you know, the fact is a lot of people who never thought they could have even something like a pet at home, having a dog or a cat. Enriches your life. And so if you have to go back to work, what are you going to do with your dog?
0: Well, they should be okay. Would you quit
1: your job because of your dog?
0: No, I would not. But a lot of people that I know, especially in that 20 to 30 phase, would. These are their kids. And I work for a company that there's very few people with kids but everyone has dogs. Everyone brings their dogs into the office. Everyone talks about their dogs. They care more about their dogs than anything else.
1: So can I move on to our next topic? It ties back to, you know, what we were just mentioning about reading employment contracts. Yeah, please do. I wanted to talk about, you know, the contractor status versus the employee status, because that's another form of employment agreement. I want to talk about a friend who applied to a job to be a music instructor, like a guitar teacher. He's 18 years old, wonderful, very talented guitar player. And so he applied for and was hired by a company here in Calgary called Music Makers. Let's keep in mind that most of who they hire are teen to 25-year-olds teaching guitar and ukulele, but what was really interesting was that they made them all sign contracts to say that they are contractors and not employees. If you peel this back, it doesn't meet the standard of what a contractor is. And what company would take advantage of young people who are most of them working part-time, supplementing their income? Very few people make a good living being a guitar teacher, But why would you do that to these young people that really wouldn't know the difference, telling them that they're responsible for their own tax filings? You know, at 18, how many times have you filed your own taxes? Never mind the complexity of now having to be a contractor. It was so slimy, so slimy. Serge, have you heard of such a thing as this?
0: Yeah, I think this happens quite a bit. I think the exception here is how young they are generally. And I get it. Well, I get it, but I don't get it from the employer because there's a lot of time savings. There's a lot of benefits of having them as contractors. Here in Canada, anyways, it makes the life of the contractor a lot harder because you have to prove that you are not an employee, which Mm -hmm. is hard, especially if you're using their equipment. You have to prove that you're looking for other contracts unless this is a full-time contract. So it adds a ton of complexity, plus doing the tax because two years ago was the first time I did tax running my own business, which is exactly what it is as a contractor. It's the same tax filing, yeah. and it's way more complicated, it's way more costly, because you can't fuck it up, not that you can fuck up your personal tax in. So we're adding that complexity to that 18-year-old that's teaching these kids how to play guitar Seriously. five hours a week. Oh, it's bullshit. It's pure bullshit.
1: It is. And here's what I would ask of our audience. You know, comment on LinkedIn, send me a message. But what do you do with that? Do you report them? Do you make an anonymous call to the CRA? Because it's clearly offside. Clearly, whoever told this company, and again, I'm naming names, man, it's music makers. Whoever advised them that this is a good thing to do, I think they need to get a new lawyer. Very, very slimy. Don't well, I think this leads either.
0: perfectly into our next recruitment insight, because this insight is why Gen Z is generation quit. So we all think that the great resignation is done, but it's definitely not done with a certain segment of our population, because a recent survey with 2000 adults in the U.S., Found that 61% of them were considering changing jobs in 2023. But the interesting thing, the ones that were Gen Z, it was 72%. So we're talking three out of four are looking for jobs if there's a better opportunity. So if you fuck them over, they will deal with it. The question has always been, Shelly, is how do you keep people from quitting? And I think our expectations of what quitting is has changed because. I am still a believer, especially in the first 10 years of work, you should explore and get as many experiences as you can because you want the breadth and the depth. So I'm not saying quitting every nine months. I'm saying staying on a couple of years, maybe three years, but moving on to a bigger challenge unless you can get it internally. I think we have to change our perception of how we look at how long people stay in jobs and get the most value. If they're there for two years, let's maximize that value. But I guess the question that's being asked in this particular article with Unleash is how to stop Gen Z from quitting. My thought is I'm not sure you want to stop them from quitting.
1: I would tend to agree. If someone is ambitious and you as an organization can't offer them any sort of path, they do need to move on. And so rather than fight it, why not plan for it?
0: The other factor, and this is where I'm like, I don't know what to think about this, is in the survey, 91% of Gen Z workers feel extremely stressed in the workplace. This is a leading cause of burnout and lack of satisfaction in their jobs. Is the threshold for stress way lower than it was when we started our careers? Or are we just old foggies being like, oh, look at those young buckaroos there. Mm -mm. They can't handle
1: stress. No, I think we've had more time to adjust to the pace of how demanding things are. I mean, I think of some of my friends that are Gen Z, who when they get an email, it's almost like an electric shock. They just have this pressure to respond immediately. And it's part of that generation and conditioning. So they do feel a greater sense of stress. Whereas As we get older, we start to realize, listen, not everything is urgent. Not everything's on fire. Sometimes you can wait to respond till tomorrow. Not everything has to be so heightened all the time. And I'm being general about Gen Z employees, but in the well-being survey, how else can you see 91% of Gen Z workers feeling that stressed at work?
0: Yes, it's crazy.
1: It has to be part of their conditioning that everything has to be done like right now like well they do
0: live in the world of now live in the world of instant dopamine hits as they get likes or shares Mm -hmm. on social media i do generally think that this generation wants to impress they want to do well but they want to do it under their own conditions
1: yeah so do you know the sound of the ding on your phone yeah have you ever been around a Gen Z? When that happens, it's almost triggering.
0: Oh, it's triggering for me too. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, it's not for you. No. No, you don't no, get a I credit. shut it off. There's I, not I, a I, dopamine hit that comes in. There's nothing that happens when you hear that ding.
1: No, no, I don't. If anything, it's just, it's annoying. Like, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't bother me right now. So A lot of
0: interesting topics on this show. I guess what's next, just to give you a heads up, I've applied for a media pass at Unleash. If we get accepted, we are going. And I don't see any reason why we wouldn't go. But I do want to talk to you and air this out publicly and get to an agreement. We have different standards, right? When it comes to where oh, we stay, oh my God. where we live. <laughs> <you> <laughs> and I'll tell you, the Luxor was more than fine for me, even though you complained the whole time was clean and the lobby was fine, whatever. It was a good price, good value. So, looking at the pricing, this, as you know, is at Caesar's Palace. Caesar's Palace hotel rooms are $1,500 a night for the event. Are you kidding? Yeah, that's not going to happen. Across the street is this lovely hotel called Flamingo. Flamingo is a four-star, and the nights are $79 a night. That is not uncommon in Vegas because this is in the middle of the week, right? It's like the weekend rates for the Flamingo are five to $600 a night. So there's a big difference. The lobby looks fantastic, Shelly. You'll love the lobby, which I know for some reason is a factor in your decision. And the rooms look great as well. So can we agree if we're going, we're not paying $1,500 a night? Oh, I agree. And the other thing is the flights are fairly cheap. And one of your clients is actually an airline that flies directly to Vegas and is a really good price. So it's a couple of hundred bucks. So
1: let's be frugal, but let's go. Okay. And RuPaul's Drag Race Live is at the Flamingo. Oh. So there's, okay, so here's the deal, Serge. I'll stay at the Flamingo if you'll come with me to RuPaul's Drag Race Live.
0: Oh my God, that's quite the deal. <laughs> well, we have time? If we're going for like two, three days, but...
1: There's always I, time.
0: If we have time and it doesn't interfere why we're there, I'll go to RuPaul's Drag Show, sure. No issues okay. There. It'll All be right. Lots okay. of fun. <laughs> I think my girls will be jealous, but Shelly, thank you. Have a fantastic week and thank you everyone for listening. Bye for now. Shelly, you know how much I love programmatic advertising for recruitment. It saves so much time and effort in trying to figure out where I can get maximum exposure and value in advertising my jobs.
1: Yeah, for sure. It is a game changer. And you know who I love too is AppCast. They are the leading programmatic job advertising platform that helps you reach the right candidates fast.
0: Definitely. AppCast's advanced targeting and real-time optimization technologies make sure that your job ads are seen by the most qualified candidate. Plus, they have a team of experts that's always there to support you and make sure you get the best results.
1: It's so true, right? AppCast has just got the nicest people on staff. They're just a pleasure to work with. And tracking your job's performance in real time is the other big plus. Being able to see exactly what's happening, what's driving the applications, where they're coming for, and at the end of the day, It's about making hires. And where else can you
0: expand your reach across 30,000 sites? Your candidates are everywhere online with AppCast. Your jobs will be too. So check them out at appcast.io. How much do you understand the future of finance?